Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. to be back. How are you? Good. Good, good, good. For those of you who don't know, I was gone for a couple of weeks. Uh, my son and I went on our annual uh, Colorado elk hunt, and my brother and his sons also went. So I guess it's father, son, brother, cousin, nephew, annual hunt. And apparently every time we leave, a storm comes. It just happens to be that this time it actually hits something. Um, one of the things that happens, though, while I'm, while, while I'm gone, it's kind of a double-edged, kind of a multi-purpose trip. One of, the, one of the things is Jesus always got away to the mountains to pray. This is once a year when I get to go and, and spend some time just me and the Lord thinking and talking and praying. And he always shows me something great. He always shows me something that I need to hear and that I need to know. But it always is something also that he wants me to pass on because I believe that everything he teaches me He's also teaching us because we're all in this together, right? And so watching a hurricane hit your home from uh, 1,500 miles away is almost harder than not being here while it's hitting. And so people were like, man, you chose a great time to go. And I'm like, yeah, uh, except that I don't have any information. I don't know what's... I mean, my, my closest friends were like, dude, shut up. Stop texting me. I'll let you know when I hear something, right? Um, but while I was on the trip... At the very beginning of our time, God spoke to me, and he carried this theme throughout the entire trip. And I knew right away that this was a message that he had for us as his people. Let me start by, by asking this question. This will set it up, okay? By the way, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Pull the house lights up a tad, if you will, so we can see this, if you don't mind. So... The question I have for you might sound a little bit harsh or might sound a little bit rude or, or um, maybe Im Im imposing, but it's an important question. So here it is. What is your net worth? I'll give you a moment to calculate it. Go ahead. I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. I, you know, I'm not asking for you to tell me, but I'm asking you to consider what is your net worth? And in that, are we having trouble with our Facebook? Internet's down. Okay, keep going. Go figure, right? What it, let me ask you differently. How rich are you? You got it? Chances are really good that most everybody in this room got it wrong. Except for you, because you were there in the first service. I'm not asking how much money you have. And I'm not asking how many possessions you have. And I'm not asking how many houses you have. What I'm really asking is, what is your net worth in terms of the kingdom? How many souls have a relationship with Jesus because you existed? How has the kingdom of God expanded because your life has been given to it? You see, when we said yes to Jesus, we weren't saying yes to heaven. We were saying yes to a relationship with the God of the universe. We weren't saying, yes, I want my insurance so that when I die, I can spend eternally with you. We were saying, yes, God, I want you in my life. 
I want a relationship with the God who made me. I want to have fellowship with the God who spoke all things into existence. That is what we said yes to when we trusted Jesus. And when we trusted Jesus, we were, we were making an exchange. We were exchanging His life for ours and our life for His. Jesus said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new, or the Scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. See, all of these really hard passages of Scripture, but here's the problem. We live in a world... And we have our foot in a world where stuff matters. And we live in a world where we know that it's bigger than just what we see. And so I don't know about you, but for me in my life, I wrestle with the tension between the temporary and eternal. It's a constant battle. It's a constant wrestling. It's this constant struggle to keep my mind and my heart focused on Jesus. And I know you're like, nah, you're a preacher. This is all you do. Yeah, but I have a house and a wife and kids and cars and all those other things. I struggle just as much, maybe sometimes even differently more. Here's the thing. What God showed me on the mountain the first couple of days that I was there, I think is a picture that will help us either get back on track or get on track when it comes to what the Scripture says. So here's the story. I started about a year ago planning the epic solution to the struggle of elk hunting. The struggle of elk hunting is this. We, we basically drive to a mountain that we, we have already, we know we, we've been there, so we know what it's like, and we set up camp at about 7,500, 7,600 feet. It's basically, we pull off the side of a road and we set up some tents. We have one tent for me and Josh, one tent for Michael and his boys, and we have a third tent, which is the camp tent, which is where the cooking stuff, the food, you know, the grills and all goes. So we set up tent the first, the camp the first thing. The only power we have is the little generator that we use sparingly to try to keep our phones charged so we know what time it is and we can keep up with hurricanes and things like that. Um, other than that, it's totally rustic. We have a bucket for a banyo, um, just kind of a behind a, a tree. And so you're, you're just kind of, just let me let you let, hold that to yourself. Uh, we've, got a look, we've got a creek that we use for water if we want to cook or we want to take a shower. That's where we do that. And so very rustic. That's at about 75, 7,600 feet. But we hunt at about 8,500 feet or so. And so in the morning, we get up about 4 o'clock and we, we get a little bit of breakfast, which is usually a little bit of uh, uh, oatmeal, instant oatmeal, boiled water, make it, you know, get Then we start walking with our packs and it takes an hour to get to where we're going. It's a little over two miles, depending on the spot we choose for the day. And in my mind, I'm thinking, one year ago, right after our trip, I said, you know what? There's got to be a better way. I mean, I'm getting old. And what if there's a way we could cut out that hour in and hour back? What if we could shorten the time? And then I discovered e-bikes. An e-bike is an electric bicycle. It's a battery-powered bicycle that you can get on and push a button, and just ride. 
And so for about a year, and, and if, if I'm lying, I'm dying, you could look at, I have pictures to document this. My living room was a literal bike shop for about three weeks. God bless my wife. It was, it, so, so for about a year, I researched and I planned, and when I found out that the price of a bicycle would require me to sell a kidney to buy one, I decided I'll just make one. So I bought the parts in pieces little at a time. I bought the motors and then I bought a bicycle here and my neighbor thankfully gave me a bicycle. Cut down a little bit, right? Of course, that one didn't even make it to the mountain. I'll tell you that story another time. So I spent the time researching how to put the motors on and how to build the batteries. To build the batteries, I literally had goggles and gloves and I was at my kitchen table soldering these batteries together. Lithium ion batteries consequently are highly volatile in the wrong circumstance. So we were right in and I finally had oh, my bike and I was done a month early so I was going to test it. So you might have seen me driving around town at about 28 miles an hour, I know. Because I would drive by that radar thing over here on Sunset constantly. <laughs> I was trying to, I mean, I, I was like, you know, doing all the poses. How can I get more speed out of it, right? I hit 28 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, this changes everything. We throw them in the trailer. We drive to Colorado. The rest of my family, not so much Joshua, but my nephews are laughing at me because I've spent so much time and energy and effort trying to build this thing. And, and I'm thinking, this is perfect. I'm going to show them how real hunters do it. We get out, we set camp set up, and we decide to test the bikes on the mountain. I made two of them. My brother was on one. I was on one. We go this entire two miles and then some. It took 10 minutes. And we're like... Who's the genius now, right? I'll be honest, I was feeling pretty good about myself. The next day, for some reason or another, I went by myself up the mountain. And as I was coming down the mountain, I was really into it. I was really feeling it. Had this beautiful green, it was a brand new bike that I had for this. Beautiful green mountain bike. And I was, I was cruising downhill. And I was almost to the very last turn before we got to our campsite. And it's almost like being on the front of the Titanic going, ah, right? I mean, it was just, I was, I was into the moment so much that I was startled, startled and rudely awakened. When, as I rounded the last corner of the turn before the campsite... An explosion between my legs and a fire that really is indescribable until you have seen it. Fortunately, I was able to dump the bike and jump off. And for five minutes, by the way, did I mention there's a no burn ban in Colorado because of the incredibly dry weather they've been having? Every single campsite we passed had a red flag that said do not burn under penalty of death I mean it was a serious I jumped off the bike and and this might be on the edge a little too much so so I jumped off the bike and I watched as every single one of the hundred and five lithium ion batteries that I painstakingly put together in this battery pack exploded and with every single explosion it shot a fireball 10 feet up into the air in either direction and I'm, for five minutes, I'm watching my bicycle 
burn. In fact, I actually saved it. I'm going to put it on my wall. Because you don't believe, Doug, would you? You probably don't believe me. But I just want to demonstrate that I'm not, I'm not lying. I am telling the absolute truth. For five minutes, I stood there and I watched as my bicycle burned to a crisp in front of me. So you're saying there's a chance. I mean, it burnt cables. The, the, the motor might still... I don't know. And as I stood there on the trail, I, I, I was laughing, to be honest with you. I was laughing, and I was mourning. I was counting up the dollars and the hours and everything else. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, Jeff, you can give your life to something. You can let it take your attention and your time and your money. And I can take it away in five minutes. Which, which begs the question. When you're all done with this life, What will you have left? Will you have a relic of genius? Will you have something that's eternal? See, when I ask you what you're... I'm going to leave this up here so you can see it. Just, I want it to be a reminder for you there. Also, the pain is still a little real, so I'm kind of... This is, this is cathartic. It's healing for me. When I said, what is your net worth? I was asking about your net worth in the kingdom. Jesus spoke about this actually multiple times. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, here's what he said. He said, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there you will find your heart. He says, the eye is the lamp to the body. If your eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters. Since either... He will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves to both God and money. It's a, it's a tough passage, but it's really a passage that I think gets to the root of who we are as people. And I think it best describes that wrestling between having one foot in, 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 the, in the temporary and in the earth and having another foot in the eternal. The wrestling that we have is because we're human beings. We have to live. We have to eat. We have to sleep. We have to wear uh, clothes. And we have to do all these other things that are required for existence. But we also have to remember that our hearts are to be set somewhere else. Because where you find your heart is where you find your treasure. And where you find your treasure is where you find your heart. They can't be in two different spots. So let's go back to this passage. 
Don't collect for yourselves. You might have an NIV which says don't store up for yourselves. Really, maybe even a more literal translation would be don't treasure, treasure for yourselves. I like the way that the Holman Christian Standard says it. It says don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth. Here's, here's what this means. Here's what, what, the, what the wording is trying to tell us. Don't lay up for yourselves on shelves treasures on earth. Don't store away and stack away for the sake of storing away and stacking away. Which is precisely what we oftentimes do. We oftentimes live our life so that we can have more, so that we can do more, so that we can, we can collect more. And before long we notice that we have this, this whole house full of stuff that literally could be gone in seconds. I, I don't know, but have you ever lost everything in one of these things we call hurricanes? Or have you ever lost enough to where you were just kind of numb to it? You ever, you ever lost enough to where as you were piling things to the side of the road so that the trash truck could come and get it, you're thinking to yourself, well, there goes $1,000, where there goes $800, well, there goes $12, where there goes $600. And you, you get numb to it to try to ease the pain of knowing that all of this stuff that you worked for and earned and bought now literally is in a trash dump. And there are some things even that you throw away because you're just tired of even seeing it. You're going, you know what? Just get it all gone. Amen? If you've been there. What the Scripture is saying is, don't collect stuff that are treasures on earth. Now be careful though, because it's not saying, Jesus is not saying, don't collect wealth. Well, He's not saying, don't gain wealth. If you look at people in the Scripture, there are many people that were godly, holy people who were very wealthy. Solomon, most wealthiest king that's ever lived. But there are also some believers who were terribly poor. In our own existence now, we have some who are grossly wealthy and some who are grossly poor. See, it's not really about the stuff. It's about the heart. So some would look at this and say, look, we're not supposed to have any stuff at all. Jesus once told a guy who was a rich man, he said, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, then come follow me. Now, when I was in college, I used to think that that was a command to everybody. That's, that's not what that passage is about. After all, how many people were told in Scripture by Jesus, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me? One that we know of. Why did he tell him that? He told him that because that man's treasure was his idol. That man's uh, that man's hindrance to the gospel was his stuff. If you want to lose all your stuff, simply make it an idol. That's a good way for God to take it. Ooh. True? Not because God's an evil, mean God, but because God wants a relationship with you more than He wants you to have nice things. And when we put our stuff between us and God, 
It's the same thing that I'm going to do with my own children. If that thing is keeping you from a relationship with me and your mother, that thing is going to go. And we have to be careful with our theology here because it's not every time you lose something, that's not God taking it away from you. We, we, obviously, we need to understand the whole of Scripture here. But let's just get this, that God is, is a jealous God in the, in the, in the way, in, in, the, uh, in the sense that if you and He have a relationship, He is going to fight for that relationship and sometimes do in your life what you won't do yourself so that you can be in right relationship. Have you ever had things taken away and you go, man, the Lord took, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. You ever done that? That's happened in my life. And every time He does it, I get back on track. But guess what? Because I'm a human that isn't too smart sometimes, I'm easily sidetracked. How about you? See, Jesus said, Do not collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. The funny thing about treasure is that the more treasure we have, the harder we have to fight to keep it. And the more treasure that we have and the harder we fight to keep it, the more treasure we want. Back in medieval times, you know, back when the Saxons and the uh, the Britons and all, you know, you had all these warring clans and the Danes, right? The king would take and, and store his treasure somewhere in the shire. He would dig a hole or he would put it somewhere because he knew that it wasn't going to be long before some raiding band was going to come in. And the rule then was, whoever had the sharpest sword or the biggest army got the spoils. But see, we have a different system now, don't we? We don't do it by sword so much as we do it by other methods. But the human heart is still the same, right? There's a whole rabbit trail I really, really, really want to go on with that, but I'm not going to. But you just imagine where that rabbit would go, okay? There's a lot of injustice that happens in the pursuit of wealth. Here's the thing. Just as Jesus didn't command everybody to go sell all they have and follow Him, we're supposed to follow, but it doesn't necessarily mean we've got to be poor. He also doesn't guarantee that we're all going to be rich. Right? Some of the most effective, faithful followers of Jesus that are alive today are eating beans once a day. Barely surviving food-wise. I can't make sense of all of that. All I know is that there is a truth involved here. And the truth is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul says it this way. He said, I've learned the secret to being content in life. Whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm clothed or naked, no matter if I have a lot or a little, the secret is that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The secret is that Christ Jesus is enough. When I find Christ Jesus, I've found everything that I will ever need. This is another lesson that the Lord taught me while on the mountain. So I've been seven years elk hunting. Seven. I thought that was a number of perfection. Apparently it's not. 
All the elk have now had babies, and their babies are having babies going, wait till September. There's this one guy who comes. Oh, man, he walks around. You just walk right in front of him. He ain't going to get you. You know, it's like Simba telling his son, don't worry about him. Everything the light touches is yours. Don't worry about the guy in the tree. He's fine. The truth is, silly as it might be, chasing elk is kind of one of those obsessions. I don't know if obsession is the right word. Maybe. It's the challenge. But here, here's the point. So at first I'm all excited. Lord, give me an elk. Give me an elk, please. Don't tell me you've never prayed for a wave or for something. You know, don't, don't eat, don't, come on, don't judge me. Lord, let me catch that pass, right? Let me hit the homer. Come on. We all pray for stuff like this, right? But as the years have gone, I've kind of, my prayers have gotten shorter. This year, here is my prayer. Lord, I'd really like one, but you ain't going to give me one anyway, so why am I bothering? (laughs) I mean, let's just be real, right? Well, I'm just going to sit in this tree, and if you happen to send one by, I'll really be thankful, but otherwise, I'll just sit and watch. As clear as I have ever heard God's voice, here's what I heard. You're praying for the wrong thing. You're praying for something, not for someone. You know what the more biblical prayer would be? Lord, if it's all possible, take this cup from me. But not my will. Your will be done. You know what that prayer was? Jesus saying, God, I'm asking you to intervene in this situation because I don't want to go through what I'm about to go through. But I want you more than I want deliverance from this situation. And for the first time, maybe in seven years, I left the mountain not upset that I didn't harvest an elk. Because I saw God. And I saw that We can spend our lives trying to do all kinds of stuff and literally in five minutes it can all be burnt up. Jesus said, instead of storing or collecting for yourselves treasures on earth, collect for yourselves treasures in heaven. What does that mean? That means people. That means eternal things. See, whereas Jesus isn't asking every one of us specifically, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, he is saying, let everything you own, be, let it be recognized that everything you own belongs to me as your father. And because it all belongs to me as your father, spend all of your treasure building treasure for things that matter, for people becoming right with God, through people becoming free from addiction and from suffering and from all those things. Spend your life on something that has eternal value that nobody can steal, no moth can eat through, and no rust can tear away. Are you doing that? What is your plan for doing that? Jesus then shifts his thought to kind of help us to understand this. He said, the eye is the lamp into the body. 
Now, when he said the eye is the lamp to the body, he was really correlating that to the heart. He said if your eye is clean, or, or more specifically in the eight, uh, Homo Christian, he said if your eye is good, if your eye is good, another way to say good Another meaning of that word in the original language of the text is if your eye is generous. If your eye doesn't hold on to stuff but, but sees the eternal, then your whole life is good. Everything inside of you is bent towards kingdom things. If your eye is good, if your eye is clean, if your eye is pure. But if your eye is darkness... Oh, how deep is that darkness. And in fact, 1 Timothy only echoes that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, where he says, I'm trying to do this gently because I got soot on my hands and I want to get it all in my Bible. Although that'd be a good reminder from time to time. He says, verse, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Imagine, imagine a knife, and by pursuing wealth, with the wrong heart, with, with greed as the goal, with self as the object. And as you're running pursuing this wealth, you're piercing yourself with many griefs. Now you look at that and you go, that's dumb. Who would do that? We do it every day. Every single day. I talked to a friend of mine who's a pastor this week. And uh, I, sometimes pastors get together and we kind of preach our sermons to each other to kind of... Uh, sometimes it's just to get some input and sometimes it's because it, we're so excited about it we just got to get it out otherwise we're going to explode before Sunday comes but I was sharing with him in the parking lot and he goes oh man oh man man God had to had to redirect me just in the last couple of months I go really what happened he goes you know when the economy tanked I had a friend introduce me to an investor, and the investor said, if you'll invest with me, I will make you a ton of money. And he believed him. He goes, I took a chunk of money, and I gave it to this guy. And after the first week, I was several thousand dollars ahead. And after the second week, I was more thousands of dollars ahead. He said, before long, I was up $50,000 in, in, in a span of time like this. He said, the problem was that when I woke up in the morning, the first thing I did was I pulled up the app to see how much I had made while I was sleeping. And when I was at every stoplight, I'd pull my phone out. Instead of checking Facebook, I would check my app to see how much I had made. He said, I was making plans and I was spending all the money I was making already in my head. I told my wife, I said, honey, we're going to make twice as much this year. So we're going to move to a bigger house and we're going to buy a new car. And he said, he, I had all these plans and everything was just perfect. And I thought to myself, oh, how God has blessed me. He gave credit to God, by the way. God was blessing him. But what he didn't realize until after the fact that what really had happened was 
he got sidetracked. It's like Tolkien's story. My precious. Right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, get a, <laughs> go back and watch the movie. It's better than the book because I didn't read the book. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm told the book is awesome, but I'm going to watch the movie nine times out of ten if I have a chance. Don't judge me. It's my brain. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. It's a story. It's a lot of things, but essentially the basic gist is that ring holds such great power and great allurement that anybody who stares at it long enough, anybody who simply tries it on, is going to become a different person. You remember the big hairy-footed dude who's supposed to take the ring and he was giving the instructions, don't try it on. I'm not sure if that's how it was said, but something like that. Don't look at it, right? The moment he tried it on, it changed him. I got to tell you, folks, if you are a human being, if you are walking, living, breathing in this earth, making treasure, gaining treasure, if your heart is not in the right place, it won't take but a second for you to find yourself in a place that is very, very dangerous. And be careful, or you might wind up with this. Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you eat, what you drink. Don't worry about all these things, for the pagans run after all of them. Are not you more important than the birds of the air? Yet I feed them every day. This is another lesson the Lord spoke. I told you how we had our camp set up, and I told you that I had a tent, Michael had a tent, we had a cook tent. The first day or so, I, I, I kept seeing things out of the corner of my eye when I go in my tent. I'm like, hmm. So I kind of hid, and I waited. And sure enough, there was a field mouse that had taken my tent and claimed it as his own. I'm sure in his mind, he was like, Whoa! Look at this! Sweet! Every time I walked into my tent, that little mouse would scurry out. So he apparently felt if I wasn't there, he could be in there except for the times when I'm sleeping, and then he shared it with me. I know this because one night I woke up and there was a mouse on my head right here. Now, I'm not exactly sure if he was a mouse, but I felt, I felt the, the fuzzy, furry stuff, and I felt the scurrying off. So I'm assuming, I'm praying that's what it was. Better than a big tarantula, right? But, but here, here's, the, here's the thing. I could have easily exterminated the problem extinguished. But, but God spoke to me again. He said, Jeff, you know, that little mouse is just trying to eat. Oh, can he not eat my nose? But anyways, he said, he said, that little mouse is actually eating very well this week because I sent you here to him. Very clear. God sent us there so a field mouse could eat because God cares about all of His creation. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a bleeding heart. I'll shoot an elk and I'll cook them and I'll eat them and I'll enjoy it. But I'm also... 
compassionate to all of the animals that God makes, including a little field mouse, because God even provides for them. It's kind of funny. This is... <laughs> I just got to tell you this. After Josh had gotten there, they, the boys got there about a week after we got there. And... Uh, we were asleep at, in, the, in the tent. You remember this? We were asleep in the tent. Josh was asleep. I was kind of half asleep, half awake. I was in my sleeping bag. It was cold, zipped up, you know. Most of my head is out. Oops, just my head is sticking out. And we hear this noise. And Josh's like, Dad, there's a bear in our garbage. I go, go get him. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? So I unzipped the, unzipped the sleeping bag. I grab my pistol that I sleep with next to my head when I'm camping like that. And I, and I start to go towards the edge of the tent. I, re- I realize I'm barefoot, no shirt, in my boxers, right? So I'm going, maybe not the brightest idea. But just to give you an idea, this is... So I unzip the tent and there's all kinds... It's like, it's like they're, they're having a party, right? At the, and I'm thinking maybe two bears. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a cougar, a mountain lion or something. So I've got my pistol... And I'm like, and I go out and I'm literally looking at the garbage can going, where's the bear? And I look over and it's three mice having a party in the garbage can. And as I told the first service, none of them were blind. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And again, I know it's strange, but the Lord said, look, I'm providing so well for this one mouse. He went and invited his buddies so they could experience the goodness of God just as well. I hope you're you're hearing through the funniness and, and, and really catching what I'm saying. God can do anything he wants. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or wear or sleep. Don't worry about those things. Because if your heart is connected to Him, if you love Him, if you follow Him, everything you need, He as your Father will provide. If He provided for the little field mice, He will provide for you who were made in His own image. You look like God. In so many ways. Because that's what imago dei means. In the image of God. And the parts that don't look like Him, He is fashioning and building so that you will look like Him. The thing is, the things that need to look like Him the most are things of the heart. And you don't look like Him if you're a person who treasures treasure, who collects treasure, who stores up, in a way that Jesus said don't do. The way you most look like your father is when you hold everything with empty, empty uh, 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 loose hands. Lord, it's yours. It all has come because of you and it all goes because of you. What's interesting about those three mice that uh, one particular night they got in the trash. By the way, I, I, I let them live. One, one night they got in the trash and uh, they didn't knock it over. I don't know. I, it's like ratatouille must have happened at our campsite because I, I have no idea how they got into... I mean, it's a trash can, right? They were throwing ropes and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
one time they didn't knock trash over. They were just in the trash. And I was like, I'm going to teach you all a lesson. You can stay there a couple days. Sure enough, <laughs> they were like, you think we're upset at this? Throw some more popcorn. Finally, I kicked it over and they, I, I, I watched how they ran. They, they, they went. But you know what? I could not... I could not do anything but celebrate the fact that God was providing because God was providing for me just as well. So here's the story. What is your net worth? Your net worth is determined by what you do with what God has given you, with your time, your talents, your resources. I'd love to be rich as long as being rich didn't capture my heart more than the glory of Christ. Some of y'all may never be rich because your heart can't handle it. Maybe. And that would be a blessing from God. Some of y'all either are or will be rich Because God knows that you've taken the ten talents He's given you and you've turned them into twenty. And He says, if I can trust you with this, I can trust you with more. Do you know that in 55 years, between the years of 1998 and the years 2023? No, 2050. Help me with the math. 2050. So between 98 and 2050, basically 52, 53 years. There will be a more than $50 trillion wealth transfer in this country. Have you ever heard that? How many numbers? I know you've heard it because you do. 50 trillion. 000 000 000 000 A bunch of zeros, right? But do you also know that one out of 40, according to a friend of mine I talked to this week, one out of 40 believers who say they follow Jesus, who are faithful in their local church, one out of 40 in their end-of-life planning, in their wills and things in, in their trust, one out of 40 has put anything in there where their, where their treasure is going to the kingdom. One out of 40. What that means is all of that wealth transfer is going to go to somebody else if that somebody else doesn't follow Jesus. Then we have just taken that amount of money that God gave us to invest into kingdom things and we've given it to somebody who will do nothing in the kingdom. Is that, does, that, does that ring a bell for you? It does for me. For Shannon and I, we actually didn't even think about it this way. Now, our thought was our three children follow Jesus, and so when, if we give it to them, they will, they will use it for kingdom things. And at this point, we believe that's the case. But what if, what if one of them doesn't? I'm not okay giving all of my stuff that God has given me and said, I trust you with this, and then me going, okay, I'm going to give this to, to the world. I'm not okay with that. Now, obviously, you hear my heart on this, right? So here's, here's the close.
I'm not asking you for money because this isn't about money. This is about your heart and this is about my heart. I'm giving to you the same warning that God gave to me. I'm saying to you that every good and perfect gift comes from above. That everything you have, every possession you have, every dollar you have in the bank, everything you have stored away, that has been given to you by the grace and by the hand of God. You might have earned it, but it is God who made that earning it possible. And the warning is, if you're not careful, you can spend it all on you and wind up with a burnt-up bike. And it would be horrible to be humiliated like that, wouldn't it? Or... You could say, you know what? I'm not going to let that happen. See, I have plans. I'm going to take some sandpaper and sand off the soot. I'm going to somehow get the pedals off and I'm going to pull the back wheel off and I'm going to rebuild this thing. Sorry, babe. I'm going to rebuild this thing. But guess what? I'm going to rebuild it Right. Because the truth of the matter is, it exploded in a ball of fire because I didn't build it right. I thought I did. But there are a few things that I missed in the instructions. I almost destroyed the San Juan National Forest. The grace of God allowed that not to happen. But I get a chance to rebuild it. That's the chance you and I have right now with our own heart. Will you? You take a moment, close your eyes and bow your head. I'm going to ask you today, if you died right now, do you know for certain that you would spend eternity with God? Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If you haven't, the Bible says it's by grace you're saved through faith, not of works, so that none of us can boast or brag. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you right now to say, God, I know that I am a sinner and I need you. I place my faith in you and I ask you to save me. I ask you, God, to own me. Thank you for that promise of life through your Son. This morning, if something I've said has pricked your heart and you realize that you are, you are storing up treasures for yourselves on earth, it's a real simple solution. God, change my heart. And then each time God says to do something, just be obedient in the next step. Trust Him. Trust Him. Father, I thank You for Your people. I pray that You would bless us beyond what we can imagine. But I pray that all of Your blessing would be, would be understood that it's Yours and not ours. Father, make us generous people with everything that we are and everything we have. Father, let the truth of Your Word prick us in our hearts. Change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand?
If you're here and God has led you to make some sort of decision, I want to invite you to do that. I'll be up front if you want to come say something to me. You've also got a connect card if you want to say something there. Maybe you need to come and just kneel and pray. Maybe you just need to take the time right where you are and kind of, kind of get some things solidified. You spend the next minute or two with God. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.